When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can't remember if it's the very first thing we see, but the camera comes in from the window and the sun's rising, and then it, it so the camera moves towards the alarm clock, and I think it says like what half six or seven o'clock. Anyway, it's making you think you're now going to cut to someone on getting up from bed early. But then it cuts and it shows the bed's already made, meticulous. The room is meticulous. He's in the kitchen already, or somebody's. It's just little things like that tell you a lot about who he is as a character without doing, and I love Chris Nolan, but doing the Chris Nolan thing where they explain the themes to you over and over. This film I thought was quite good at showing you who he was without telling you. Hello everyone. Joining Flixwell today we have Simon. Hello. Stephen. Good evening. And Kobe. Hello. And we're here to talk about The Equaliser. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Simon and Stephen. Over to you, please, Stephen, to tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. My name is Stephen. I have been a film critic for about 15, 20 years. I used to write for Radio Times, did a bit of writing for The Guardian, for Empire. I still do reviews for BBC Radio Scotland. Are you based in Scotland? I am about 10 minutes away from where Sean Connery was brought up, but I don't have the sexy, cool accent that he does. But you're in Scotland right now, are you? Yeah, yeah. I've lived in Edinburgh all my life. The the grey utopia that is. No, I've got a lot of time for Edinburgh. One of my happiest times this year was going to Edinburgh for the first time since lockdown happened and going to the the fringe, which might be a swear word for you guys, but I love Edinburgh. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic city. The festival's a tough time here. It really is. I'm sure it is, yeah. (laughs) This is the first time I managed to actually get out to like Leith and stuff. Now you've got the tram, now the tram's connected there from the centre to, to Leith. That was the first time I went outside the city. And we went to Edinburgh Zoo, saw a giant panda. Anyway, this is a film podcast. <laughs> well, I, was, I was loving the tour of Edinburgh. Yeah. I've still not been inside the castle yet. I think I was just like looking at it because I think it looks great. But on the inside, I'm not so fussed about, you know, armour. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, who are you? I'm Simon. I liked your description of uh, Edinburgh as the grey utopia. I actually live in the grey dystopia, which is uh, the glorious rainy city of Manchester. How dare you? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it does always rain there. You can't deny that. Most of the time it does. Stereotypes are often true for a reason. Anyway, but yeah, once a month I jump on the, well, was the Virgin train, now the Avanti, down to London. And I host, uh, with, with a friend of mine, Lee J, I host the You're Going to Need a Big About Film Quiz, which we have now amalgamated into a single venue one, almost every month, just off Leicester Square and Wardour Street, the O'Neill's. And we've been doing this little film quiz for almost 20 years and we enjoy it very much. We both, neither of us work in the film industry, so this is a, 
a way to indulge our, our movie related passions and we get a nice crowd of uh, a lot of regulars who've been with us for many years and it's uh, oh, it's definitely the highlight of my month don't know about them but, uh, yeah. i would 100% recommend 10 out of 10 <laughs> thank you very much i mean i would suggest if they're regulars it would there's something pulling them back it's not a tractor beam is there it's definitely not the host it's probably our we do have a certain, I'll blow my own trumpet, but we do have a certain creativity in the way we create our questions. It's not your usual thing. There's a lot of mashups and montages and lateral thinking involved. Tricky questions, but never trick questions. That's very important to me. Do you know how much, if at all, teams prepare for the for the quiz? You do oh, give some clues. We do, yeah. So, I mean, that's probably the only benefit of following us on Twitter is that once a month, or being on our mailing list, we give clues and a free answer. So it's always fun to see how people choose to use the free answer. Most often in the soundtracks round, you'll get maybe nine. The best one was literally somebody put the free answer down nine times. And of course, it, it was the 10th answer was the one that the, <laughs> was the free answer. I think I might have given the point out just out of uh, pity. But yeah, we give clues. You, know, you, answered, you asked about revising. There were a couple of teams. I won't name them. Well, no. There's a, a very nice guy who plays on a, a Nick Cage-related team. A lovely bloke. Regular as clockwork, always there on his favourite table. And I see this guy and he has sheets and sheets of paper. He puts in the work. <laughs> I think quite a few of them do. And there's a few groups I know of WhatsApp groups where they are there just yeah. to do practice questions with each other like it's oh, uh, wow. the A-levels or something. It's awesome. I mean, it means a lot to us. We put a lot of work in it. It's good to see uh, those guys do too. We- the guy you're talking about was Matthew Turner, isn't it? It's got to be. It's not. I think he just has a kind of a Rain Man natural ability. I don't hmm. think he needs to do any revision. I used to do quizzes with him at the Edinburgh Film Festival and, you know, only certain people were allowed to hold the pen and only certain people were allowed to write. And he takes quizzes very seriously from what I can remember. I think I need to go to Edinburgh. He's he's in the team that I quiz in. Is he? So, yeah. Are you allowed to hold the pen? I don't hold the pen in this quiz team. <laughs> I passed, passed on the duty. <laughs> he did previously in the Shabbos Rollers. We, well, on, on our team, the Shabbos Rollers, where I was on with Helen, we still have the WhatsApp team. A few people have left. But what used to happen when the clues were announced was like, in the last couple of times, if there's soundtrack listening. Yeah, if there's soundtrack. I started creating a, a like a, a set list of films of soundtracks beginning with J, for example, and that did help, and it got people in, in the mode a bit. But we didn't do practice questions. That was, I think, that would have been a step too far for us. I don't think I <laughs> would have been that first. And we won a couple. We won the last one before the pandemic, for example. So. Yeah, so you just pretended it never came back after the pandemic. Well, that's it. That's why, I, unfortunately, I've not been back since then. And there's reasons why. No, you guys, you guys are pretty good. Yeah. You should definitely have a reunion. <laughs> one day, one day. But look, look, we're talking about films. You've chosen the Equalizer. Can you tell us, first of all, why you've chosen the Equalizer? And then I'll give you 60 seconds for a synopsis. Well, I don't want to spoil too much my rewatchable score later, but it's I've, I've seen it several times. I saw it. We're very lucky to go to an advanced screening of it where the director, Antoine Foucault, was there. Foucault, is that you say his name? Yeah, he was there for a little Q&A. That did not in any way influence my absolute love of this film. Big fan of Denzel Washington. Vaguely remember the, the original series that it's adapted from, loosely adapted from. And I was just, yeah, had a look through the stuff on Netflix. There's not that much stuff on Netflix that I would watch again and again. This is probably at the top of the list. And the timer starts now. Okay, so if, you, if you're familiar with the 80s TV show, you've basically got this lone guy, Robert McCall. The film doesn't really go into his, his background until later, so all we know of him is he, he's, a, he's a kind of an older gentleman, works in a hardware store, has a very particular set of habits, slightly OCD, and he becomes entwined with a prostitute, also eats at the diner where he is, 
sees her getting beaten up by these Russian mobsters and basically reawakens the bad man that he used to be in a kind of modern day unforgiven style. Goes back to being the man his wife didn't like. All his particular set of skills come out and he basically takes down the Russian mafia henchman by henchman. Perfect. 10 seconds left there. So no one here has seen the, does anyone even vaguely remember Equalizer, the TV show? Yeah, I am sadly old enough to remember it. And it's got that really amazing theme tune at the start by Stuart Copeland. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's just one of the most fantastic pieces of music I think I've ever heard. Apologies for the hyperbole there. But I remember it coming on on the TV once a week and I was always, I was more excited by that than, was it Rob Reiner in The Wolf of Wall Street who plays Leo DiCaprio's dad? He watches The Equalizer yeah, every yeah, week. Yeah. I was that excited every week just to hear that theme tune. And the show was always okay. You know, it was it was always fine, but the theme tune at the start was the highlight. The opening title sequence is probably one of the most terrifying oh, yeah. bits of TV. It's all your worst kind of suburban nightmares of 1980s New York of women, lone women getting stalked by creepy guys and People getting surrounded on subways, graffiti, rubbish. Yeah, it's you got it. If you've not seen the TV show, it's worth watching just for the intro. And like Stephen says, the Stuart Copeland with the police with Sting, absolutely classic eighties TV theme tune. I need to rewatch it. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was one that was, I think it was just too late in the night for me to watch it, uh, but definitely being a, a thing. And I definitely just remember the name. I just thought it was a really cool name for a TV show. So yeah, I maybe should come back to it. Helen, what were your thoughts on the film, not in the TV series? So I hadn't seen this before. I'd say that it probably belongs to like that little subgenre of films where Denzel being an absolute badass, there's like quite a few that could fall into it. And I don't really know what I was expecting, but I certainly wasn't expecting it to be so like damn stylish. And there's so many amazingly beautiful moments at extremely violent times, which is I quite enjoyed that. It was very good. But yeah, I enjoyed the violence. And I mean, we don't deserve Denzel really, do we? He's just incredible. I think he brings that extra level of complexity to the character that maybe some more traditional action kind of type people might not have brought. So I think the kind of combination of him and the director as well just is pretty good. And who doesn't love a Chekhov's corkscrew in your film? There's quite a few Chekhovian things, weren't they? Oh, oh yes. Chekhovian dragged me across the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Book 90 my ass. That's a great line, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Stephen. I'll be honest. I genuinely respect Simon's movie taste a lot. And when he first mentioned The Equalizer, I thought, hmm. Because I remember watching it and thinking, okay, three-star film, never really want to see that again. But when I went back and rewatched it, you know what? I thought, actually... This is pretty good. I was oddly reminded of Tony Scott a few times when I was watching the, like watching Man on the film. Fire. Was it Tony Scott doing Man on Fire? Or was that yeah. Just yeah. The, yeah. 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 I wouldn't say it's especially memorable or outstanding or even a classic, but it's got loads of scenes that, you know, that podcast, The Rewatchables, where they talk about films that you would watch and then yeah, the if they were on ring, TV, yeah. you'd think, yeah, yeah, it's like, I'll keep watching until that scene. I'll keep watching until that happens. I think this film has about four or five of them. I saw this really amused me. On Twitter, a user called Killers of the Flower Mitch described the film as <laughs> a movie that asks, what if Travis Bickle was smart and a fucking unit? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that pretty much sells it. And um, it's funny re-watching it. I got um, a real re-appreciation for Denzel Washington. And I know this sounds like such a basic thing to say, but I, I genuinely think that myself and m- many others, we just take him for granted because I was watching this film and I was making notes on it and I thought, 
you know, I was making notes on that's a nice bit of direction. I like that bit of dialogue. That's clever. And then I thought he's being really, really, really good in every scene and he's bringing just little nice touches to everything. Mm. Do we take him for granted? I think that we probably do because there's a scene in his depot where a young guy comes in and he's robbing the store and Deza Washington has to play it as though he's the mild mannered guy at the till and he can't do anything. But just the way that he plays it with his eyes, you could see with his eyes, he's taking in all the details. He doesn't say it, but you know, he's taking in the details and he's thinking, okay, scumbag, I'm going to find you later and you are going to pay for what you've done. License plate, huh? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) He's just one of those actors. He's so commanding and I don't want to say anything that will upset film bros here, but I think you could potentially do the John Wick films without Keanu. Now, Keanu's brilliant in the John Wick films, but for me, the appeal of the John Wick films is like the the style of fighting and the direction. Whereas I don't think the Equalizer films would work nearly as well without Denzel. I think he is well-directed, but he just gives it that extra bit of quality. I think there was, well, the John Wick film without John Wick was... Atomic Bond? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody, which honestly, I love them both. I think they're both good, interesting films and they're, you know, they're passing a lot of knowledge between each other. So I think you could, you could do Equalizer without Denzel. I don't think it'd be as good. I really, really enjoyed this and it's, it's taken me years to watch it for the first time. I think just because it came out at a similar time to John Wick and I was like, well, I've seen John Wick. Why would I bother? This is great. And I was like, is Equalizer 3, is there? Is it that good? Or they're just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Every time everyone says, no, no, it's, it's really good. I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure, whatever. And even just from the get-go, you just see Denzel doing his thing, schlubbing it, but not schlubbing it, picking up on this little ticks and things that's going on with the young girl in the diner, knowing that she's in trouble, but knowing also just taking care of her, basically. And I just think it's fabulous. I just think it's a really, really good way to portray the action. I think sometimes when you do that Sherlock Holmesy thing, it can be a bit cheesy about like, oh, I see that all the moves are going to make 10 steps ahead. And I don't think it works that well in the Sherlock Holmes films that uh, Guy Ritchie did. Yeah, I thought it was a bit contrived, but I think I think here it was just quite a nice kind of slight affectation just to show that he's he's got the jump on any, every single person in that room at any moment. So I, yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's really, really good. I think the slight down bit was, I like to see more Grace Moretz in films and I don't think she had much to do in this. She's had better roles elsewhere and it wasn't the best use of her talents. But aside from that, I think, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, see, I, I quite like the fact they didn't dwell on that. What it's a highlight of. I've not seen the third film. I've seen the second one, and it's and it's along the same lines. It's very good. And some of the highlights for these films for me are the little side missions that he goes on. So, so in this film, you've got the main plot is him going to war against this group of Russian mafia dudes who are running a, a brothel. And but like you say, you mentioned the robber who comes into the shop where he works. And in the second film, you've got these kind of douchey financial guys who've assaulted this girl and he's and Denzel's driving a driving a cab at that point well no in this, and, in uh, this one he has the side quest where he helps out the security guard yes of course sorry yeah he's and there's these two cops are extorting the, the guy's mum and you know all of that could be cheesy and I like what you said Stephen about people taking Denzel Washington for granted I think if you watch this and you weren't in the right frame of mind you might think he's kind of sleepwalking through this film but mm. it's just because he just he makes it look so easy and his ticks, it's, it's funny you should mention that because apparently in the original script, the Robert McCall character he plays, the, the title, he's a bit of a cipher. He's, he's not really a character. I mean, he, basically his character is his fighting and he, all of that kind of stuff is his background. Whereas it was it was Denzel Washington who introduced the, the, the OCD element. And it's not done in a, a kind of Rain Man genius way. It's 
there's a scene where he where he first comes to the the Russian place and he as he leaves he closes the door and he kind of counts as he closes it and I think there's another bit as well where he's switching light switches as well so he's he's got kind of the compulsions and the way he takes tea to the diner for example in that yeah of course yeah which which actually reminded me of as good as it gets uh, Jack Nicholson's got like a germ phobia and he takes all his own cutlery to the to the shop but so Denzel actually came came up with his character's background and often when you hear that it's, it's quite pretentious but in this case he's I, I love what they do with the character. I remember the original TV show. So this was, he was an English guy. I can't remember how he was involved in the CIA, but it was Edward Woodward driving a Jag. And there is a little, <laughs> there is a kind of a little homage to the Jag. So he was kind of out and out there ostentatiously with the Jag just hanging around. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not really, you know, someone who's going to blend into the background. What what I love about this, so he was kind of like a posh English guy in New York, in the, in the kind of the grime <laughs> of New York. This is, what I love about this, it's just, it's, it's proper blue collar, stuff you've got this guy his, his wife's died previously so at the start you don't know anything about his background he's just he, he lives in this it opens in his apartment which is absolutely freakishly meticulously clean everything's nothing's out of place he suffers from insomnia so he spends a lot of time at the diner he gets goes to this job at the, at the uh, hardware store he rides the bus to work i mean even when he goes on a mission he comes back on the bus which i loved and you know he's just they love him at work he tells jokes he's not a complete loner yeah he's hanging out with all the younger kids and they're like what did you used to do before you worked here? And he was like, I was a pimp. You're a pimp? And then, they're, no, no, <laughs> yeah. I was the guy on the right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, and, then, and then they look him up, don't they? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that I mean that works in several ways because obviously he's, he takes down a bunch of Russian pimps. <laughs> and then I think later on in the big showdown at the end, he plays a Gladys Knight in the pitch. So ah, there track, you go. Yeah, to, in that big epic showdown. Another Jacobian there, Paul there. Nice. Yeah, yeah I think the, the genius of Denzel is that he's completely convincing as a slightly kind of like older dude working in a hardware store and someone who could destroy every bone in your body and then completely shoot you up with a nail gun. And I think a lot of actors can kind of maybe do the beating up part and then they're sort of slightly out of place in the the other live bit and they always kind of look like the big guy who's going to bring the action. But he just kind of moves seamlessly between the two. And I, I just think he just seems to be having a lot of fun with this as well. Because I think that, you know, he, he's he got such a range and it's not every day that you get to take someone down with a nail gun, I think. so. I think with, the, with, with Denzel, we've had training day in here before. And that's Denzel, maybe not his biggest, most ostentatious. He's certainly very gregarious in that role. In this role, he's a lot more played down. And there's lots of shades in between Malcolm X through to like Fences, for example, and no matter what he's doing, the camera's on him. Like, you, when the camera's on him, you, you can't look away. And, yeah, it's just, I think it's, it's just a masterclass. I watched The Creator with his son, John David Washington. And I think John David Washington's really, really good. But I was just like, your dad's just got a few notches above there. Um, he doesn't quite have it, does he? That his dad, not yet. Not there yet. I'm, I think I need to watch some early Denzel to see where it kind of cranked into place. But certainly somewhere around training day obviously I knew about about Malcolm X I knew about other films but it was around training day where I suddenly thought holy shit this is the guy this is the guy and more power to him it's funny because you mentioned John David Washington there are any of you aware of the TV show Ballers that he was in yeah I I hated him in Ballers when uh, in the first series first few series certainly so I didn't know anything about this. Well, I knew about the show, but I didn't know who he was. And four episodes in, I was—I remember saying out loud, I'm getting really annoyed at this guy doing this crap Denzel Washington impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was David Washington's son until Tenet. 
I didn't. I had no idea because I, I, I don't know. I don't really follow family lineages and stuff. So I knew his last name was Washington, but at no point did I think he's the son of Denzel. Not black KK Klansman then. Uh, oh yeah, black Klansman. He's good. I mean, he's, he's also been black Klansman. He's a really good actor. But you'd not connected. No, I don't yeah, think so. Same. Never even occurred to me that Denzel Washington had a son who was an actor. It's, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's not someone you know. They, not... they look exactly No, they I do, and they think... sound the same. And in retrospect, it's mad. That I don't he think they look the same. Twig. I think they sound very similar, don't think. I think he's got some similar mannerisms. I know Denzel's kind of lost his hair now. Well, he didn't, certainly has in the equaliser. He's not actually bald in real life. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something that's like, I feel like I'm watching Denzel, but mm. not Denzel. The Wish version. <laughs> That's a bit unfair on him, though. He's his own guy. Yeah. I mean, he can grow. He can grow. Yeah, I mean, totally. Denzel is one of a kind. Like, I, I don't know whether we'll, you know, the guy can do Macbeth. He can be Malcolm X and he can pulverise people. And he, he can do Tony Scott as well. I mean, the people that he's worked with as well, it's just... Astonishing, yeah. He's just great. Because Man on Fire is like quietly a lot of people's like high in their list of really cool films to watch, action films, isn't it? And it's, it's an assuming one, unassuming one again. I think Tony Scott does those kind of films, apart from maybe like Top Gun. It's just had a string of these films where you're like, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. But wouldn't necessarily almost have drawn you to the cinema on the first issue, I don't, for me at least. I think one of the problems I had with the, the film, this film the first time is I love Training Day that much that I think it set such a high bar from in my mind with Antoine Fuqua's movies that when I saw this, I just thought... Oh, that's nowhere near as good as Training Day. But but going back and watching it now, there's so many nice little things in it and nice little touches that I like. Bring two spring to mind. Um, I like when he goes to see his old boss and her husband says, um, are you going to help him? And she says, he didn't come for help. He came for permission. Yeah. Really, that's a, just a nice line. And a nice bit of direction at the start. So I can't remember if it's the very first thing we see, but the camera comes in from the window and the sun's rising. And then it, it, so the camera moves towards the alarm clock. And I think it says like, what, half six or seven o'clock. Anyway, it's making you think you're now going to cut to someone on getting up from bed early. But then it cuts and it shows the bed's already made, meticulous. The room is meticulous. He's in the kitchen already or something. It's it just little things like that tell you a lot about who he is as a character without doing, and I love Chris Nolan, but doing the Chris Nolan thing where they explain the themes to you over and over. This film I thought was quite good at, showing you who he was without telling you yeah did you did in spite of that we can't well i i was like i know exactly where this film's gonna go did that get in people's way in any way no i don't i don't know if i knew where it was gonna go i mean you, you mentioned the chekhov's uh dragging a tire across the <laughs> dragging a tire across the ground training the security guard and then denzel makes a quip about you know you might have to drag me out so you're like okay he's gonna drag him out later <laughs> i'll have a hero moment which is great it's, it's, it's deserved but i think on paper it's just one cliche after another it's you know it's the, the unassuming guy with the secret ca past it's the man on a man on a mission it's the hooker with a heart of gold it's when, yeah on paper it's just it's it doesn't add up but the way i think the Antoine Fuqua definitely elevates the material, like like Stephen just said about the opening scene. None of that involves Denzel Washington, and it just brilliantly sets the scene, tells you a lot about the character. And then, yeah, Denzel Washington definitely, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember, I read the Wikipedia page, there's a, quite a whole host of people who were considered for this role. And I don't think, I'm trying to picture this film with anybody but him, and I think it could have really, really failed. He's He's so good in this role. He does so much with just a glance. He doesn't even say that much. And when he does say things, 
they sound profound when they come out of his mouth in a way that if, if it was Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal, it would be ridiculous. And he's believable. <laughs> he's believable as someone who reads. Are they your two touch points? I think, <laughs> right. I or, think... Chris, or Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> you know, I like Chris Hemsworth, but he's, you know, he's no Denzel. You know, there's a, there's a little, nice little character detail that when his, his wife was working her way through the top 100 books or something and she's died and he's now taken that on. So he sits in the diner with his book and he's, and that becomes something he talks about with the Chloe Grace Moritz's character. But I mean, in fact, at one point he uses the book as a weapon, which is, a, is kind of a John Wick type thing as well. But yeah, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of, yeah, of someone else who could, could pull this off. I mean, it's not for, for an adaptation of an 80s TV show about an ex-CIA guy who's now kind of a revenger helping the guy on the street. There could be lots of people who could have done this. But like I said, Denzel just just elevates it. You would have laughed out somebody else, but seriously. <laughs> what, so what, before we go to the scores, what do we actually make of the action in this? Because it is this, I, I don't know, the genre, they kind of call it Jerry action. I think even John Wick would fall into that and certainly like nobody, just the older, older person action. How does it compare to those ones and how does it compare to that traditional like Rambo 80s action? Because we all seem to be quite enamoured by it, but I don't think there's any bombastic scene that was just well-placed, well-done shots, right? I think from my point of view. Yeah, there's there's something just quite pleasing about a film where you want the main guy to dish out an ass-whooping because he's likeable and the people he's protecting are likeable and the villains are so detestable. It's quite simple, really, but that's what the film does a good job of doing. It When, when Robert is thinking about taking action or he's about to take action, I think you as a viewer... You want him to take action. And that's the key thing about this film. It's like, you, you can see him putting the pieces together and you're thinking, yeah, he's going to do it now. So I got more pleasure out of that bit than I did out of the actual ass kicking. And there's a really nice bit in the film where he goes to do, to whip someone, not literally whip them, but he goes to destroy someone. And I don't think you actually see it. You just see him hanging the hammer yeah. back up in the store. Cleaning it and putting and it back up. That. Yeah. Nice little touch. That was after the robbery yeah. where he, he walks out the door spies the license plate goes back in grabs the hammer and then next thing the hammer's back and so is the ring that was stolen i was like yeah fair play i mean there's only one thing that i really didn't like about this film and it irked me no end at the end of the film they played new dawn fades by moby now that song belongs to michael mann and heat you should not be allowed to use that if your movie hasn't got al pacino speeding down a motorway <laughs> to invite robert de niro for a cup of coffee but other <laughs> It's, it's, it's funny when you said that because that that scene completely channeled Michael Mann, who was standing on a beach looking at a kind of a sunset over an ocean. That's like a Manhunter type Michael Mann shot with that music playing. But yeah, that was a weird song choice for me because, like I say, it's so associated with heat. <laughs> Helen and Simon, any any action thoughts before we head to the scores? The, the picking them off in creative ways in a warehouse with DIY tools is always a winner for me. <laughs> I, I love the yeah the fact that Hero is basically a, sl- a slasher movie killer in in the final yeah. final act of this movie, and he seems to. It's, it's another. I said it was kind of a lot of cliches roped together, which no one else could have pulled off. Another cliche is the fact that the hero and the villain are mirror images of each other. They are both dead-eyed psychos. <laughs> so one one of them is a good guy, and one is a bad guy. And I say there's cliches, but it also there's also a subversion as well because. Denzel is kind of the killer, and this guy Teddy, who's Martin Sokas's character, he's he's the enforcer sent from Russia to find out who's killing the guys, and he becomes the detective and has to track him down. And there's a there's a really nice moment in this film where Denzel never backs away. He literally uh, he comes up to his front door, and as he squares up to him, he walks out of his flat and just walks right in this guy's face and just <laughs> stares him down. It's so brilliant. He volunteers information. In fact, it reminds me. You said that, like there's no big showy action sequences. 
it very much reminded me of Jack Reacher, and Jack Reacher came later. But it's quite an old school kind of thriller, apart from in the, in the final bit in the warehouse where it does turn into this kind of horror movie type bit where, I mean, he hangs a guy with some barbed wire. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was super dark, wasn't it? Like pulls him up to his level and yeah, then just watches and then, him die. Yeah. And then he, there's another one where he like, I don't know what the tool is, but it's some kind of like hedge trimmer or something. And he shoves it through the guy's neck. And they did a similar thing in one of the recent Rambo movies where he traps all these guys in an underground cave and then just stalks them and kills them one by one in a horror movie type way. And anybody else, you'd probably think, oh my God, this is awful. But because it's Denzel Washington, but you know, this, this is alluded to, I mean, it's not alluded to, it's, it's spoken out, right. It, it, he says, you know, he, he's, I, I think I compared him to William Money from Unforgiven. He was a bad man. He did horrible things. He says something about, I don't remember the exact line, but it's the parts of him that his wife didn't like. They've kind of come back. I can't remember the exact line, but <laughs> but I think Denzel Washington is just so likable, and the villains are so detestable that you yeah you kind of cheer him on. I love I do love that that scene where the enforcer from Russia doorstops him and says, "Hey, were you at this restaurant last night?" So, and he just Denzel just like confronts him straight away. He's like, "Yeah, you found me. How did you find me?" And he knows what's up straight away. But this the Russian guy doesn't really have any comeback to it. He's like, yeah. "I've got." I've got no idea where I was going to go with this now. I think at that point already, you know that he's out of his depth straight away and it's only a matter of time before Denzel, Robert, is going to you know, get the upper hand on him. And you know, that, that scene just itself, I thought, was like worth the, worth the price of admission. It's great. It's, it's two guys outside a flat. There's no big flashy moment. They're not hanging off a cliff or in a helicopter or whatever. <laughs> he just literally knocks on his door. Yo, we saw someone like you at the restaurant. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> what are you going to do about it sort of thing? In fact, it reminds me, there's a scene in Clear and Present Danger where uh, Harrison Ford is advising the president. And he's like, no, don't deny it. Just just go with it. And it's like, were you friends? No, we were the best friends. And he's like, give them nowhere to go. And I, I, for some reason, that scene popped in my head in that, in that exchange. It's great. Well, should we head to the scores, guys? Sure. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. So welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. All of the scores are out of five. You can have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Simon, with your recommendability. Oh, easy five for me. You know, as, as adaptations of 80s TV shows go, I would say the failures <laughs> outnumber the successes. But this is must be in the top five, probably in the top one of adaptations. Uh, yeah, it's a great film. Recommend it to anyone. Well, no, sorry. I should caveat that. It's very, very violent. <laughs> if you are a fan of Edward Woodward driving his jag around 80s New York, you may be slightly shocked by the lengths that this, the modern day Robert McCall goes to. But if you're into it, yeah, five, five for me. Stephen. Yeah, I'd go four. Very, very solid film with lots of good stuff in it. And Denzel just being, just doing what he does, elevating any scene he's in and being generally much better than we potentially give him credit for again if you watched it once like i was saying earlier if you've watched it once and didn't think much of it or thought that's a three-star film i'm never going to watch again i'd highly recommend going back and give it another chance if you are if you are missing tony scott and you've got a tony scott shaped hole in your life this could fill that helen 
Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting it to be as good as this. And I just think it's just incredibly stylish as well as all of the other things that we've mentioned. It does earn its 18 certificate. So it is, 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 it is quite violent. And yeah, I don't know whether it kind of tells a new story, but I think it tells a engaging story really, really well. So I don't think it'll be for everyone, but I would probably say that it's definitely on par with kind of the John Wick films. So if you like them, then I, I don't know why you wouldn't like this. So I'm going to give it a 4.3. Going 4.5 here. I have been an outlier. Lots of people, including our former Shabbos Rolls captain, Ben Dads, did say, Kobe, I think you really, really like this film. I was like, nah, it makes no sense. So I apologise, Ben, if you're listening for, I should have taken your advice. Although I quite like the fact now I can watch one, two and three quite easily together. And I think that'll be a lovely weekend when the wife and kids are away, if that ever happens. So 4.5, violent. So it's going to take it down a few notches because you can't recommend it to everyone, but they're still high. Repeat viewing score, Simon. Another five for me. Like I said, this of all the stuff on the Netflix slate, I reckon this is possibly the film I've watched the most. I reckon I've watched it at least four or five times. And I think it's a testament to Denzel's acting that there are little quirks that you, you know, I've watched it four times and on the fifth time, I notice a little flicker in his eyelid or little smirk or something that I've not noticed before. So yeah, I'd say it's, and, and again, it, it's it's not a long film. I mean, it was about, about two hours, so it's, it goes pretty quick. Stephen? Rewatchability, 4.5, I think. I find the warehouse sequence at the end just a, a tiny little bit draggy. And you could maybe shave 15 minutes from this film. But yeah, overall, just kind of what we've seen earlier on, there are so many scenes that I think if this was on TV, I'd be like, right, okay, I want to wait till I've seen that scene. Oh, this scene's coming up, I'll watch that. Oh yeah, this is another good scene. Oh, I like it when he does that. So there's about five or six of them. And yeah, 4.5, I think, for rewatchability. Helen. So this has definitely made me a little bit inquisitive about two and three, regardless of whether they're good or bad, just because I'm kind of intrigued enough. How much I'll watch this one, I'm not sure. But if someone was like, do you want to watch it? I'd be like, yeah, all right then. So I'm going to give it 3.5. Yeah, I'll go with you 3.5 there. I don't think it'll be think something I'll watch that often, just because it's on the two-hour side, really. I think if it's a tight 90, it makes it a lot easier to watch and, and rewatch it. And I agree with you, Stephen, in that the, the Dunamon at the end, the fight scene in the warehouse is kind of the least interesting Bit. I did like it when he faced off the big, big bad in Russia. I thought that was quite a funny, <laughs> funny scene in the shower in his own bathroom. But the warehouse bit was the least interesting. I think the ancillary, the side quests with the corrupt cops and stuff like that and meeting first in the restaurant, I thought those really, really good, powerful, strong scenes. So yeah, 3.5. Small screen score. Simon? I would say I was going to go for a 4.5 for this. I've seen it in the cinema and I've seen it on the TV several times and it didn't really lose that much. I think. Stephen? Uh, probably a 3.5 or a 4. Because I don't think this is a film that you definitely need to see in the cinema. This is definitely one you could watch on your on your TV, on your laptop, and it wouldn't lose much. But going back to something I think Simon said about five minutes ago is Denzel does so much with his eyes in this film that it is good to watch it on a bigger screen if possible. Like if, if I was watching that on my phone which I obviously never do. But if I was watching this on my phone, I might have missed some of the little flickers in Denzel's eyes and the things that he does with them. So, but yeah, you could easily watch this on your TV and get just as much enjoyment out of it. So you said 3.5 or 4? 3.5, yeah. Helen? 
Yeah, I think this would have looked really, really, really good on the big screen, but I didn't have the opportunity because like you, I also didn't take heed of Ben telling us to go and see it. So that (laughs) chance has passed me by, but I really enjoyed watching it at home. Am I going to see the third one at the cinema? I'm not sure whether I'm quite into that. So I'm going to give it 4.5. Yeah, I think it's a four. I think it's one of those things, you know, it translates quite well to the small screen TV viewing experience. But I think if I had six hours to kill and Prince Charles Cinema had E-Class 1, 2 and 3 trilogy, I'd be happy as a pig and shit for those two hours. I think it'd be a really fun way to spend that time. So I would look for, I'd quite like to see it in the bigger screen. And I think the collective experience would be quite palpable with this as well. Engagement score, Simon. I watched this one, well, the last time I watched it recently for this podcast, I, I watched this all the way through. It kept my attention, even though I've seen it several times. Enjoy every minute of it. I, when you're saying that as like a badge of honour, you, you might need to qualify that as like a, <laughs> I don't know, that's oh, something you not normally do, watch a film all the way yeah, through. Sorry, no, I should, I should say that because most people think, what, you can't sit through two hours of the tension? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, unfortunately, life gets in the way with three children and about four jobs. So time is precious. And yeah, this this one, well, I would probably go 4.5, I reckon. Stephen? Yeah, I would go 4.5 as well. And let me sort of expand on that slightly and saying that, you know how I said at the start that I didn't really fancy rewatching this. So what I was going to do was I was just going to, I put it on, I thought, right, I've got some spare time now. I'll watch half an hour tonight and I'll maybe watch an hour tomorrow night. And I think I was lying on my couch and I was probably at 10 degrees when I started watching it. And then after sort of 20 minutes, I thought, oh, this is getting good. This is quite, yeah, I kind of want to keep watching this. And I just got sat up and straighter and straighter and straighter. And then I found the whole thing went by. And I was like, yeah, that was bloody good. And I was completely gripped. Apart from the, like at the warehouse, I was thinking, you should end now. But apart from that, yeah, I was, it pulled me in so much that I watched the whole thing. And again, that's not because I'm lazy or whatever, or can't watch a two-hour film. It's just because. That's what happens. <laughs> Life gets in the way and you, when you watch stuff at home and you've got, you might have some work to do or, or something, you think, I'll watch a bit of this now and a bit tomorrow night. But I find it's a really good measuring stick of something that's good because you just end up going, sod that work, I'll do that tomorrow. This is actually... <laughs> Ellen. So completely unrelated, which is because I was a bit curious. So apparently Russell Crowe tried to bring the equaliser to the big screen with Paul Haggis. Oh, imagine so it would have been, It would have been shaky cam. No, not Paul Haggis. I'm probably, that's Paul Greenwest I'm thinking about, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to watch Russell Crowe in this, I don't think. <laughs> so yeah, Reese did not watch this one because I, I thought it was probably not his thing, but he happened to keep coming in at each time. There was a various like gruesome kind of death or someone being pierced by something. And he was like, it's for the podcast. I was like, yes. He's like, who are these people who picked it? So uh, yeah, our engagement. I was pretty engaged all the way through. I think, yeah, similar to you, Stephen, it kind of surprised me about how engaged I was because I was kind of thinking, yeah, I kind of know the vibe. But yeah, I was 4.5. I'm going to go with that as well. It surprised me with how much I was into it. So 4.5? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to join the 4.5 party. That's everyone on this list so far. Yeah, I think it was just... I knew where it was going to go. I felt I knew where it was going to go. It, it didn't surprise me in where it ended. Denzel spies, you know, wounded bird. Wounded bird get, gets even more wounded. Denzel sorts it out. 
<laughs> but this, like they said, the side quests, which took into different directions, gave him more of his background, how he took the people out, his ingenuity, and just being the, den- the whole Denzelness of it had me hooked in. And I can understand why Steven started reclining and then, you know, sitting up towards the end. So that gives an overall score of 4.30000. That's pretty high. Yeah, absolutely. So it was very decent. Sorry, I just I love I love Stephen's metric of uh, the angle of your body as a measure of how, <laughs> how great a film is. <laughs> yeah, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Can you tell us where we can find you online, and we'll say goodbye to the listeners. Yeah, you can find us at the quiz. We're roughly once a month at the uh, Flamingo Room at O'Neill's and Wardour Street in London. We are online at film-quiz.com, Twitter film-underscore-quiz.com, and on Old Fashioned Facebook as well. Big about film quiz. I am on Twitter at The Naked Pun, so you can find all my film stuff there. And if you've seen Trainspotting 2, the scene when Begbie is in prison, I live 30 seconds from that glorious location if you are so inclined to stalk me. Happy hunting. I mean, that sounds... I mean, we've just been watching extra, you know, Equaliser. Happy hunting is not the way you want to sign off there. No. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.